Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on, Alex. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first and goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson to speed and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's off the Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields up to Kennedy. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello. Come on, the 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nace. And I'm Felix Sharp. On today's show, we decide between Mac Jones and De'Aaron King. Will Zach Wilson be the third quarterback drafted? And is Georgia where quarterbacks go to die? But we start with breaking news. Journey Brown can no longer play football. And I just broke it up. <laughs> My 2021 for B1. <laughs> and that ball is going to be the last that we ever see of Journey Brown. <laughs> I, just, I, can't take it. I can't take it. <laughs> Matt, Matt, I'm going to throw it to you. Well, first off, I, I wish I was as broken up as Felix about this. I feel bad for him. And that, that song just makes me think of like staying up till three o'clock in the morning and watching the like dogs that need to be adopted commercials. But uh, I, it sucks for him, obviously. I, I, he wasn't my RB1, but he was right up there, probably top four. I, as I've talked about, I thought he had a chance to jump up to at least three. It sucks that he cannot play football anymore due to no fault of his own. It's something that's getting taken away from him. He put out that statement. And as someone who is as competitive as I am and not even on an elite level like he is, it sucks to see that love get taken away from you. And I'm sure he'll be able to, if he wants to go into coaching or whatever he wants to do next, he'll succeed at that because of how competitive and how great of a person it seems that he is from everything we've read. But just knowing that he can't play football anymore, that does truly it's a it's a horrible thing for him, and I can't imagine what him and his family are going through. So just just prayers to him and his family that he'll be okay to at least live a happy and healthy life away from football. Let's stay in the Big Ten with breaking news, Matt. Uh, the showdown between Ohio State and Maryland has been canceled due to COVID. What are we going to miss from this game? 
Uh, I honestly thought this was going to be a really good game. You know, I've been talking the past couple weeks that I was worried Ohio State has not been as good as everybody else has been saying. We saw them have a very interesting game with Rutgers this past weekend. Penn State was close for a while. I really thought Maryland was going to be able to hang with them with uh, the way that Tulia has looked, and especially Rakeem Jarrett, who came on last week in a big game. Uh, this Buckeyes defense has been bad. I thought we were going to be able to see a good game from those two, a competitive game. Uh, you know, just a couple years ago up in Maryland, uh, that Dwayne Haskins led Buckeyes guys team only lost to Maryland because they failed to complete the two-point conversion in overtime. If they that come to two-point conversion, it's game over. Ohio State loses. So uh, getting to see Fields and those guys continue to work more, I mean, I think it's fair to say, in my opinion at least, Fields is the Heisman front runner. I mean, he has more touchdowns and incompletions on the year right now, and he hasn't even been running the ball because he wants to prove he can throw it from the pocket. So he's been just amazing, and it's been nice to see him and that offense continue to work together. And my biggest takeaway from that is now with that canceled game, if they get one more canceled game, there's a realistic shot they will not be able to go to the playoffs. And for me, that's the biggest thing is that we're pushing to see Fields win that Heisman, get to the playoffs because they want to win that national championship. And, and now getting a game canceled like this, it, it hurts their chances even more. And that's more to Big Ten messing this up from the beginning. In the last two weeks, Maryland has beaten Minnesota 45-44 and Penn State 35-19 and uh, Tulua. Talga Villaloa has been good since opening the season uh, with a really terrible game, but but has been hot since then, 44 for 61, 676 yards, six TDs, and one INT, but we won't get to see him this weekend. Austin, I want to throw it to you. We had a good week of college football in Week 10. Are there some tight end prospects that are piquing your interest? Yeah, so I feel like uh, all offseason, all we heard was Eric Gilbert, Eric Gilbert, Eric Gilbert. And for good reason. I mean, he's the highest rated tight end prospect in the 24-7 composite history by like a decent amount. He's just, you know, this physical specimen. He came in right away and has been really good this year. Um, he's been one of the top tight ends in the SEC as a true freshman, which is pretty incredible. But I think we forgot a lot about, and I wrote a little article at Dynasty Nerds at the beginning of the year about Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer, who was also a five-star. Um, pretty rare to have two five-star guys in the same class. I think the last time it happened was like 2005 or something. So it's it's really, really rare. Um, but he's a baller in his own right. And I think he's kind of been showing, you know, he has a catch here or there where you really see the glimpses of it. And um, if not for Kyron Williams just having a huge game this Saturday, I think we'd be talking more about Mayer and just how good – and how college ready, you know, this kid already is. Um, he's got 20 catches for 235 yards and two touchdowns in a system where he's, they, they run two tight ends and they both block and run routes. Um, so I think, you know, with the way that system is set up, he might not ever really have like a huge statistical year, but I think it's time to start taking him seriously as that second guy that we're kind of looking for after Eric Gilbert. Tommy Trumbull is the other uh, tight end in that Notre Dame um, team that probably has a, a shot at being an NFL draft pick. Listen, in dynasty leagues, if you can trade for 2023 first, do it. Leave the 2022 picks alone and trade for 2023s. 2023 is shaping up to be a ridiculous class, and we could probably devote an entire segment uh, just to that class. So we might do that in the future. Um, Austin, if you had to choose one, are you still choosing Gilbert over Mayer? 
Yeah, I mean, Gilbert's still been great this year. I mean, I have the stats here. Um, Gilbert, so Mayer has 20 catches, 235 yards, two touchdowns. Gilbert has 22 catches, 259 yards, and two touchdowns in two fewer games. So he's still the top guy. Yeah, We're talking about Notre Dame. Uh, they had a big win this past weekend. Uh, Brewing, I'm going to toss it to you. What are your thoughts about Notre Dame and their playoff chances and the playoffs in general? Well, I feel like uh, for the most part with Notre Dame upsetting Clemson there, we, we've almost locked ourselves into our top four outside of some serious chaos, unfortunately. I think with Notre Dame beating Clemson, the chances of them losing are kind of slim moving forward. So it means they'll likely meet up with Clemson again in the ACC championship game. Getting Lawrence back, I can't imagine that they're going to lose that game. So if they beat them, I don't see how the playoff committee holds Notre Dame out for their one loss coming against Clemson and Clemson avenging their loss so that likely means both of those teams make it in I would imagine Alabama likely goes undefeated which gets them in obviously we just talked about what's going on with Ohio State but if they go through and get in as well I think those are the four teams which for me kind of sucks because I was really kind of hoping to see a BYU or a Cincinnati get in especially this year with the way things are going you still have Oregon at Pac-12 which I thought looked really good as well Uh, and I feel like now those are going to be the four teams outside of some serious chaos Uh, and I feel like that kind of ruins some of the fun moving forward for me and what's going on Dennis uh, some of the interest, interesting games left for the top four teams, Alabama, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. Got November 21st, Indiana at Ohio State. Indiana is probably going to be a top eight-ish team at that time. Notre Dame at North Carolina, November 27th, and Auburn at Alabama, November 28th. Gentlemen, what I learned this past weekend is that Michigan needs to move on from Jim Harbaugh, and it's not because he's bad Bad, a bad head coach. I don't think that he's a bad head coach, but he should be peddling that emphasis on running the ball in defense in the NFL, not in college. Jim Harbaugh had the same offensive philosophies with Andrew Luck at Stanford that he had with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. In, fact, in 2011, last season, at, or in, at, in Andrew Luck's last season at Stanford, Luck had 400 yards, 400 attempts, uh, passing attempts, excuse me. He had 400 passing attempts. Do you know who had about 400 passing attempts in 2019? Shea Patterson, okay? So when you think Shea Patterson and Andrew up the same way, there is a problem. It's a damn shame. And the emphasis on running the ball is preventing Jim Harbaugh from recruiting the offensive skill positions that matter. There isn't one skill position player on Michigan's roster that could start at Alabama, Clemson, at Ohio State, at North Carolina, and I'm including Nico Collins. Um, Please don't talk to me about Zach Sarbanet, okay? Zach Sarbanet is going to make a very good personal protector on the punt team in the NFL, and that's about it. Michigan needs to make a change, and a school like Michigan needs to make a splash. It's a blue blood school. It needs to make a splash. It needs to attract the eyeballs of recruits and their alumni and donor base. Um, But they need to get the offensive skill position players. So my number one choice would be Lincoln Riley, and that's a pipe dream scenario. But if you could pull Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, I would do that. Number two, and I think that this could happen, is Joe Brady. The Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator who was the passing game coordinator last year at LSU, and that LSU offense put up historic numbers. Ward Manuel, if you are listening to this, you're going to need to expand the search beyond the Michigan man family if 
if U of M football is ever going to achieve the heights that it reached in the 1990s and under Lloyd Carr, okay? Jim Harbaugh out, Joe Brady in. Gentlemen, um, let's play a little game of true false. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's go. First question, true or false? Clemson, we talked about the playoffs. Clemson deserves to fall out of the top four after uh, suffering its first loss to Notre Dame this last Saturday. True or false? I'm going to say false. Not only is the statement false, but if I had a a vote, I would still rank Clemson second to Alabama, followed by Ohio State, and I would have Notre Dame fourth. I don't think anyone thinks that Notre Dame can beat Clemson on a neutral field or with Trevor Lawrence. Nobody thinks that. And I don't think that Notre Dame is a better team when it took double overtime against an 18-year-old freshman quarterback to win. Um, so, no, it, it's false to me. And let me let me say this. The people that rank college football teams are, are cowards. If Notre Dame had lost the Clemson Dame game, Notre Dame would have been ranked behind Texas A&M in Florida. And A&M's only loss is to Alabama. And Florida's only loss is to A&M. So thanks, but no thanks. I'm not buying Notre Dame as the second-ranked team in the country. Austin, true or false that Clemson deserves to fall out of the top four after suffering its first loss? So I'm going to say true, and it's close. I get what you're saying about the Texas A&M, Florida, like kind of like Alabama kind of like defeat love triangle thing they've got going on. This is kind of hard to parse those two out. But Clemson hasn't beaten anybody. If you look at their schedule so far, they've played Boston College, who they barely beat the week before this this uh, this loss. They beat Syracuse. They smoked Georgia Tech. They beat Miami, Virginia, the Citadel, and Wake Forest. I mean, there's not a decent team in there. I don't even know if any of those teams are above 500. So, I mean, to say that their resume, I mean, it's a weird year because we've got teams that are like two and zero, and we got teams that are like eight and zero. Like, it, it, it's really weird, kind of trying to rank these teams. But I, I mean. I think Cincinnati has a really decent claim to that fourth spot right now. They're undefeated. They, you know, these ACE, the AAC teams put up a ton of points every week and they'll put up 50 points one week, come play Cincy and put up like 10. I'm kind of interested. I would love to see Cincy play one of these top teams in the playoff just to see, you know, how tight that gap is or, or, you know, not, but yeah. Austin, I want to come back to you. We talked a little bit about Maryland to open the show. True or false that Maryland's Rakim Jarrett is the wide receiver one for the class of 2023? So I'm going to say no. And I think it's really easy to say yes after the game he had this week. You know, he had over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Um, He's currently my number three guy in this class. And the thing about Jared is that I kind of expected him to break out earlier than the guys I have ahead of him. I mean, the two I have ahead of him, Jackson Smith and Jigba at Ohio State, he's getting some snaps. He's getting more than I thought he probably would, but I never thought he was you know, going to be their second or third guy. And then I have Kayshawn uh, Bout or Booty, I don't know how you say his name, um, at LSU, who's also, he scored a nice touchdown this past game they played. Um, but again, he's behind Terrace Marshall, um, Racy McMath, uh, some of those other guys. So this was kind of expected for me. Um, if he continues to play like this, maybe we continue to have that discussion. Well, five receptions for 144 yards and two touchdowns against Penn State, but I agree with you, false. He's not the wide receiver one in the 2023 class. 
like you said, I, well, you mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think all three of the freshmen at Ohio State are going to have something to th- say about this question before it's all said and done. Demond Demas at Texas A&M should eventually have something to say about it after he gets out of the doghouse. So, no, I'm not buying Jarrett as the wide receiver one. But what I am buying is 2023 draft picks in Dynasty Leagues. That's going to become a recurring theme around here. We all believe, I think all of us are in agreement, that 2023 is going to be a the next loaded class as far as fantasy. So buy 2023, sell 2022s. Um, one point on Rakeem Jarrett. You watch his tape, and he scored uh, two long touchdowns on the same, essentially, pick play out of Twins where he's in the slot, and the outside receiver sets a pick for him, and he runs this kind of out and then slant route underneath the uh, the outside receiver, and they scored on that play twice, one in zone, once in zone, and once in, in man. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't know yet, but it's great to see a freshman breakout, a true freshman breakout with that Big of a game. Gentlemen, true or false, C2 Sears should trade Jonathan Taylor for Najee Harris. And I'm going to start this one off. That's 100% true because Najee Harris has the golden ticket. He can catch the ball, and Jonathan Taylor probably isn't going to be the focal point of the passing game really in any time in his career. Najee Harris has a very high ceiling because of that pass catching, and I've comped him to – Fred Jackson. I've heard someone else comp him to Matt Forte. Both of those players had very high fantasy ceilings because of their involvement in the passing game. Taylor's going to be a low floor player like Derrick Henry because he doesn't catch the ball. So yes, if I could trade Jonathan Taylor for Najee Harris and probably get something else uh, in addition to it, I would absolutely do that. Uh, Bruning, what are your thoughts? Uh, I am a hundred percent on the other side. I love Najee Harris too. He's he's my number one running back uh, in, in this class. We just did a a Debbie team mock here that you were a part of, Felix, and I took him as the number two pick in the in the one QB league. He's I love Najee Harris, but Jonathan Taylor is is special in my opinion. I know he has not played well, uh, and and. Some of that, I, I still blame Frank Reich. I do have a petition going around on the internet to fire Frank Reich. If anybody wants to sign it, I'm all for it. I, I need Jonathan Taylor to be better. Uh, but he's proven already that he's part of the passing game. In fact, the past couple of games, all of his fantasy production has come from the passing game because they won't let him run the ball in Indy. Uh, so I, I don't think that he'll have any issues with that moving forward. You know, I don't know if it's a Wisconsin bias or anything, but everybody said the same thing about Melvin Gordon coming out, and, and he's been a great receiver in the NFL as well. So I, I I would not do that. My biggest thing in that is while he hasn't proven much, Jonathan Taylor has already proven on the NFL level for the most part that he can produce. We don't know where Najee Harris is going. He could end up going to New England where all the Alabama running backs go and none of them produce. And so that's what worries me. I have no idea where he's going to land in the NFL or if he'll even succeed at that level where even though Taylor has struggled this year, in my opinion, he's still shown enough on tape that I believe in him moving forward. Here's why I disagree with you is because – um, Najee Harris just isn't a outlet receiver. He can actually play in the slot and and run wheel routes. Some of the routes that Aaron Jones runs, he can run the arrow routes. And I don't see Jonathan Taylor ever being that. And we talk about I, I mentioned Fred Jackson and Matt Forte. Those were guys who could score you twenty points in a game in a fantasy game without having scored a touchdown because they were so uh, uh, they were. Um, uh, 
they had a, a huge share of their respective offenses. So, and I think that it's a good point that you don't know where he's going to land, but in a vacuum, in a vacuum, who has the higher ceiling between those two players? I just, I think it's Harris because he adds that pass catching. I think that, um, that Taylor compares to someone like Derrick Henry who had what 38 yards rushing this past, uh, this past week. And if he doesn't score a touchdown, what is he doing for you? Um, so, I, yes, good point that we don't know where he's going to land. But I think that all things being equal, Najee Harris has the higher ceiling because he can carry the ball 20 times a game and get seven to eight catches at all various levels of the uh, intermediate, deep, short, um, something that Jonathan Taylor can't do. So I disagree with you on there. Uh, Austin, do you have anything to add on on this question? Yeah, I mean, I think if you have two guys that are graded pretty similarly, I, I'm hesitant to trade back a year like that just because you're basically skipping a year in that development cycle. So unless I was rebuilding, I probably wouldn't be a, a move that I would make personally. But All right, gentlemen, uh, and Matt, we're going to toss this to you first. True or false, Brees Hall is an overrated compiler. Sell high. Absolutely not. Why? He is phenomenal. Like, I don't understand the hate on this kid. Okay, so he's not going to beat your grandmother to the end zone. He doesn't have the long speed. I get it. Outside of that, I'm going to use this word that's probably going to come back and bite me in the offseason, and you two will know why. He's elite everywhere else. He doesn't have the long speed. He's got great vision, great lateral footwork. I think his patience behind the line is amazing. Now, I'm just looking at stats from, from this year right now. 41 avoided tackles, which is second in, in NCAA right now behind Javante Williams, who I've already wrapped, you know, I, I've talked a lot about. But ahead of guys like Sincere McCork, Isaiah Spiller, Kenneth Walker, Javian Hawkins, Jameer Gibbs, Tank Bisbee, and over 10 over all those guys. Those guys are all great runners, right? He, he makes people miss when he needs to. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I don't think he's a compiler at all. He His biggest knock is he doesn't, he's not going to take anything to the house once he gets past those guys. But you know what? That's there's nothing wrong with that. If you if you block up four yards, he's gonna get you 10. And so he may get tackled, but those guys have they have value at the next level. I think from what he's shown at Oklahoma, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma, Ohio State, he's the only guy that they have to defend too. And, and defenses still can't stop him. They go in there like, okay, he's the only good player on this offense, and still can't because you're not Brock Purdy ain't beating you. I mean, Brock Purdy's throwing the ball to everybody. So no, you know I'm right. He's he's amazing. I love Brees Hall. He's there's like five guys coming out. There's two running backs. Wait, three running backs and like four wide receivers. I want 2022. Outside of that, I'm with you guys. I'm trading every single pick that I can. And I honestly think, especially because it seems like most rookie drafts go running back heavy. I could honestly see Brees Hall being the one one in next year's draft because it, you're going to go running back, even though there's a bunch of talented wide receivers. Brees Hall is not a guy that I'm selling high on. He's going to be a good NFL running back. May not ever be that top three guy, but I would bet my podcasting career that he is going to finish top 12 at least twice in his whatever now twice he's gonna be top 12 running back almost every year that he's a starting running back in the nfl i said it i said it i'm going with it i love him austin are you willing to give up your podcasting career what is your answer to that question uh so i feel like i have a lot less to lose on this one if i make that bet <laughs> um 
So Brees Hall is not an overrated compiler. I 100% agree with that. I looked at his profile a little bit this week when I was writing um, my kind of buy-sell mid-season uh, article for Dynasty Nerds. Um, I mean, he's like he's not a compiler. He's very efficient. He's averaging 6.3 yards a touch. He's explosive. I think as of last week, I didn't check after this past week's games, but he was second amongst running backs in uh, Division One um, on, for, on runs that earned first downs, um, which is generally an explosiveness, you know, a big play stat. And he he's has number three, three right now. He's number three. Okay, so he went down. Two, spot. two, twenty six. Oh, he's, he's, he's still number two. Okay. Javante Williams again, a guy I'm just going to keep mentioning, but he's number two right now. You yeah. can't get away from that name. Yeah, um, he's amazing. But so, so from that sense, I don't think he's an overrated compiler. Where Matt just made my point for me is, is he's definitely a sell high. If I have the 101 in a rookie draft, no offense to Brees Hall, who I do like. And I think, like I said, I think last week, like he's like a 104, 105 kind of guy for me. If I earn the 101, like if I'm a bad team, like if it's not somebody else's pick, if it's my pick and I get the 101 and Brees Hall is the best player there, like I'm just really disappointed that I chose that year to be the worst team in my league and get the 101. So if I can sell him for that kind of price, you know, that top running back, top dog price all day. I mean, I would, and, and even like, you know, if you say he's the one-on-one next year, if I can trade down a couple spots, pick up something extra and take like Isaiah Spiller or Kyron Williams, who I did a poll this week on Twitter. I got about 320 something votes. Um, and I asked after, you know, I think that the two guys in this class are Hall and then Spiller. And then we're kind of trying to find that third guy. Raymond Davis. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I can't even. I that not. <laughs> um, so Ky, I, I put up three guys. I said Kyron Williams, Notre Dame, Eric Gray from Tennessee, and um, oh crap, who's that? Th- oh, and Zach Charbonnet from Michigan, just because a lot of people still like him. And I put that up. Um, Kyron Williams got about fifty-eight percent of the vote. Eric Gray got about twenty-eight percent, and then Charbonnet got the rest. It was like seventeen, eighteen percent. So I think if I could trade back and get like a Kyron Williams and pick up a decent piece. I, I'd be happy to do that. So that that's where my sell high point on Brees Hall comes in. Can we do a little name game? Can I give you guys some NFL names and some college names and you tell me who you would pick? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Brees Hall or Tank Bigsby? Oh, Tank. That's Tank. not even close. Yeah. Brees Hall or Miles Sanders? <sighs> They're very Hall. similar for me. Hall, so. because he doesn't get injured. Uh, I mean, uh, the best of ability is availability. I'd go Hall. Brees Hall or Zach Moss? Oh, Hall all day. Yeah, by a lot. Brees Hall or Jameer Gibbs? Probably Gibbs because of the receiving. Brees Hall or Sincere McCormick? Hall. I don't think McCormick's going to get the draft value. As much as I like McCormick, I don't think he gets the draft value. Yeah, agreed. And finally, uh, Brees Hall or Cam Akers? Hall. Hall. Ooh, I like uh, Akers, but I don't. I don't know what to think about him in in Los Angeles. I really don't. All right, I think that that should be. Uh, that's that feels like a very hot takey. All right, let's go to the next question. Sure, false. Kyle Pitts should be drafted before any wide receiver in both the NFL draft and in dynasty leagues in 2021. I'll take my the first stab at this. I think it's true that he gets drafted before any wide receiver in the NFL draft because. Coaches seem to have hard-ons for tight ends that are athletic, but it's false that he should be drafted before any wide receiver in Dynasty Leagues. Um, All right, guys, do you know how many 1,000-yard seasons there have been between Vernon Davis, 
Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, David Njoku, Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, and Tyler Eifert. How many thousand yard seasons between those nine guys? Two. Zero. Zero. Zero thousand yard seasons. So um, I think tight end is very much landing spot dependent. The elite tight ends in the past few years have been um, well, third and fourth round or fourth round picks, fifth round picks with Gronk and with George Kittle, second round pick in Mark Andrews, who's not really having that good of a year here. I, I think that that position more than anything is um, subject to the circumstances around it. So I say true that he gets drafted before any wide receiver. I say false that he should be drafted before the wide receivers in dynasty leagues. Austin, True or false, Kyle Pitts should be drafted before any wide receiver in both the NFL draft and in Dynasty Leagues in 2021. Uh, so I have such a cop-out answer, um, and it's maybe. And here's why. So I do I do think I, – I've heard a bunch of analysts say this. Um, I think Ray uh, GQ was kind of the guy that started this, where he said that as soon as Kyle Pitts declares for the NFL draft, he's a top 10 dynasty tight end option in the NFL. And I probably agree with that. And honestly, I think tight, top 10 is probably conservative, assuming he doesn't go, you know, to the, like the worst possible imaginable situation where I have a hard time, even in tight end premium leagues. Like I, I, I just have a really hard time committing that much. Like you said, that much capital. Like I, like I thought OJ Howard was like that guy and he hasn't been so far. Um, I think Pitts is on that spectrum of Eric Ebron, which does scare me as well. Like, like, you know, the comparables and you look at like worst and best case scenario, like I could see him being an Eric Ebron and I would be extremely disappointed, especially in a class as deep as 2021, where I could take Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan or somebody else, you know, a decent amount later and possibly get that same production. There are a couple landing spots where maybe I would bump him ahead of a couple of guys. Like if he went to like Green Bay or if he went to even like, like I know uh, Houston has a ton of tight ends on the roster, but I think he would automatically become the number one guy there. Like somewhere where there's a quarterback who's going to be there for at least a few more years and has like not that many pass catching options. Then maybe, you know, I take the first three or four receivers and I take him, but I can't see any other circumstance as for the NFL draft. I, I, I can't see him going before Jamar Chase or um, Jalen Waddle. I think those guys are going to be guys that the NFL loves. I just don't think he can he can jump those two. Go ahead, Bernie. You got anything to add? Yeah. So, well, I want to I want to ask you guys. So, I was trying to pull it up, and it's not it's not working because I don't think he can go to some of those teams. So, like right now, the projected top picks: New York Jets, Jacksonville Jaguars, Dallas Cowboys, Giants, Washington, who's probably the biggest tight end needy team out of that group right there. Chargers, Dolphins, Bengals, Panthers, Falcons, Lions. So, I mean, we're kind of getting down there because, like, Houston, which I agree would be a great fit, they don't have a first or second round pick in this draft. So, there's no way he can go to them. Uh, where I would, I mean, again, I was not as big on OJ Howard. So, maybe I, that's where I see a little bit of a difference. I, I think Kyle Pitts, he plays the tight end position like a wide receiver. I think that's where my biggest separation is for him and why I have him even above uh, a Brevin Jordan. Fryermuth is right there because of his blocking ability. But if you watch Pitts, like he gives you so much like effort in the blocking that I think that's going to keep him on the field. I, I just, I think he's so dynamic. He's crazily, we've actually seen like a rookie tight end hit every single year, which we always talk about. It takes like three years for tight ends to hit, but we always see that one. I, I mean, 
I hope my mortgage company or wife isn't listening right now. I would almost bet like my mortgage that that's going to be Kyle Pitts next year. Like I, I just I don't see any way he fails. I just don't. He he's too good. I mean, even before Trask was there, he was producing. And whatever NFL team he goes to, he gives you like that big body, like I said, receiver type at the tight end position. He's a mismatch on the field. So for me, I think he is going to be a top 10 pick. Like, I mean, just looking at this list, I mean, I would love if he landed in Washington or maybe even New York if they decide to move on from from Evan Ingram because we've seen them try to get Evan Ingram involved and he just doesn't do anything with it where I think Kyle Pitts could. I, I think Kyle Pitts and Ingram are similar players. Now, Evan Ingram never had the uh, the kind of the the game to the, to play above the rim the way Pitts does, but Evan Ingram was essentially a receiver uh, at Ole Miss, um, and then Vernon Davis was at uh, oh shoot Vernon Maryland, and and Noah Fant at Iowa. Um, so you know, Bruning, did you would you take him before some of the wide receivers? Uh, in your dynasty drafts next year? Man, before in my dynasty drafts, it would depend on where I'm picking. If I'm picking in the back half, say if I'm picking 7 to 10, yes, because or 7 to 12, because I feel like if I get pits there, I can still get a top-end wide receiver when it comes back around to me. If I'm picking at like the four or five, I'm probably still taking a more or Bateman there over pits because of – knowing the same thing. I can get Fryer move for Brevin Jordan probably in the second round there. And I'd rather have the pairing of like a, a Bateman or more in Fryer move. But if it's going later, like I like Waddle. I'm trying to think of who those other guys would be right there. Devonta Smith. Like I kind of feel like I'd rather have a Pitts and a Wallace over a Smith and a Fryer. Well, I think Fryer move would be like a Smith and a, and a Jordan, if that makes sense. So for me, it just depends on where. If I'm picking in the back half, yes, I'm taking Pitts as my first pick. Just anywhere from 7 to 12. Because I, I don't like any of the running backs there and, and wide receiver, I think I can get somebody just as good in the second round. Let's let's give a let's give ourselves the number seven pick. Okay. Um Kyle Pitts or Jalen Waddle. I'm going Waddle. Pitts. Well, Austin, you said Waddle and I said Waddle, yeah. All I right, said Pitts. Bernie. Okay. Um uh Kyle Pitts or Devonta Smith? Pitts. Pitts. I have Waddle higher Smith. than yeah, I have Waddle higher than Smith, so. Kyle Pitts or Rashad Bateman? Bateman. That's the one that's like close for me. Like the end of my tier one. Like that would be depending on the landing spot there, I think would be would make it close. Last one, Kyle Pitts or Rondale Moore. More. More. Gentlemen, are you ready for the Debbie debates? Let's do it. That's what I came for. <laughs> Let's pick one, Bruning, between okay. you and I, Matt Jones or De'Eric King. I mean, it's not even a discussion for me. It's Mac Jones. Like, why would you want De'Aaron King? I mean, Mac Jones is second to to your 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 guy Zach Wilson right now in deep ball percentage. I understand he's got a great team around him, but he's making NFL throws every single week. Looks poised in the pocket. You know, we talked about this. I think it was back on episode two. While he doesn't bring you the mobility that Derek King brings you, I also think he Derek King doesn't bring you the accuracy that Mac Jones brings you. I don't think he brings you the arm that Mac Jones brings you. Mac Jones is a guy that I could see being in the league for, I don't want to say till 42, like Brady and Breeze, because that's extremely rare, but a very long career just due to him being a pocket passer who seems to be able to read defenses and has a really good arm. So give me a guy who I think is also going to get that the day one draft capital. I don't see him going into the second round. I think he gets drafted 
in round one. So give me the guy who gets the day one draft capital and, and has, in my opinion, all the tools to be a successful NFL quarterback. I don't see Mac Jones as being a first round draft pick. I think both of these players are day two, two draft picks, uh, second and third round, but only one of them can develop into a franchise quarterback. And that's the Eric King. Okay. This is a a loaded quarterback class, but Mac Jones is a clean pocket vertical thrower a la Mason Rudolph. And I, Got that comp from the Saturday to Sunday podcast, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. He's throwing to some of the best skill position players in college football. De'Eric King isn't. He's mobile. He can. He has just as good an arm as uh, Mac Jones, and I think the door is open to someone like De'Eric King being able to take the helm of an NFL franchise. We saw Jalen Hurts get drafted in the second round last year. I think De'Ara King is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts, including his time at Oklahoma. But definitely when you compare uh, De'Ara King's time at Houston and in Miami um, and compare them, compare them side by side. So I'm saying De'Ara King, if I had to choose between the two. Now, I, I think I agree with you in that, yeah, because he has the Alabama helmet, that Matt Jones is going to be drafted before De'Eric King. But if I can get a round discount on De'Eric King, yeah, I'm going to take that value and I'm going to take him over Mac Jones. All right, gentlemen, let's go. Let's talk about the, uh, we have to talk about this player every single show. Uh, it is the Zach Wilson hour and, and, and Zach Wilson will be draft. will be the third quarterback drafted in 2021 after Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Austin, what do you have to say about that? I, I, I don't think I can ever bump him up to QB3. I have him QB4 right now. It, it's close between him and Lance. For me, I think people are going to look at Trey Lance and see Josh Allen all over again. Now, whether, I mean, I think what Josh Allen has done is extremely rare in terms of he really wasn't accurate. He was pretty much exclusively making plays with his legs and then praying with his arm. And it seemed it's, I mean, he, to his credit, he's developed. He made me look like an idiot. Um, but I think Lance has that, like that's his ceiling. And I think that like, he's closer to that ceiling than like the spectrum that Zach Wilson is on. So when I look at some of these guys, I try to think of like their best case scenario, their worst case scenario, and then like their middle and try to kind of figure out, you know, what, what kind of skill set did this guy have? When I look at Zach Wilson, I think like my three, like, you know, highest, middle, low comps, he's on like that Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel train. Like he's going to be somewhere on that where he's works really well off script. He has a good arm, um, but all of those guys ex- are, except for Aaron Rodgers, like the, the other two don't have like that elite arm. And I don't think Zach Wilson does either. And, but, but he's just kind of that playmaker, you know, he's going to, you know, work outside the offense, make things happen. And I just don't, but, but I mean, I think Trey Lance can do that too. So for me, what he does isn't quite as valuable and doesn't quite have the projectable ceiling that Trey Lance does. So for me, I just can't quite push him over the top. Zach Wilson is getting reps. Trey Lance isn't. And reps are important at that quarterback position. Zach Wilson, we know that he's playing out of his mind. He has the mobility. He has the vertical efficiency. Um, I, I, he is playing his way right into a top 12, 15-ish uh, type position. 
I think that he is going to be uh, the the third quarterback drafted after Fields and Lance because he's going to continue to play this way. He's going to continue to make plays off script, off his platform, off his butt back foot, and be accurate in in all sorts of ways. And we're not going to see that from Trey Lance. Yep, Trey Lance has the frame. Yep, Trey Lance has the cannon for an arm. But we're not seeing him um, develop as a quarterback right now because he can't. He's not. Zach Wilson is. And so if I had to put my eggs into one of those baskets between Lance and Trask and and uh, Zach Wilson, because of the added mobility, the, the ability to make plays off script, I'm going to go with Zach Wilson as the QB three. You got a, you got an admirer in the chat, uh, Felix. Um, and I'm with you by the way. Uh, he also has more production. I think people kind of forget that he actually had a good, uh, good rookie, good freshman season as well. Like, Zach Wilson has produced longer than we've seen Trey Lance do it. He's he's only done one. So he's only had one good year. And and I'm with Felix. He he's getting the reps right now. He's going to continue to look good moving forward. So I I'm I I think my bad. I just saw your your message there, Austin. <laughs> um I just I think it, by the end of the year, he's going to be in the Heisman talk. I do think he loses out to Fields, but that's going to kind of boost his stock up even more. He's, I think, going to end up jumping. Uh, he's going to jump Trey Lance for me. Let's move down south to Georgia. Uh, Austin, I'm going to start with you. Brock Vandegrift, uh, the fourth-rated quarterback in the incoming 2021 class and a four-star recruit according to 24-7 Sports. Is he headed for a quarterback wasteland in Georgia? Yeah, I I honestly have no idea what Kirby Smart's doing down at Florida, down at Georgia. I mean, I think so. The NCAA is like a little it's it's frustrating because there are no like injury reports or like required you know reporting or anything like that. So for all we know, JT Daniels like can barely walk and like you know his arm is falling off and because it has to be something because he's not playing and I can't imagine that he's any worse having seen him play that year at USC than Stetson Bennett or Dewan Mathis. I mean, bless Dennis Stetson Bennett. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but <laughs> I mean, the dude was like a low two star at a high school. He went Juco. He's still out of Juco was like barely a three star. Like this is not the kind of kid that you're like a, a blue, you know, a blue blood program should be running out of quarterback. And if he's that much better in practice than, than Mathis and Daniels, then I mean, I don't believe it. And I, and if Kirby smart thinks he is, then I just completely question his, his decision-making. I mean, we already saw him chase off Justin Fields in favor, in favor of Jake Fromm, who I had been like a little easier on him about that just because Fromm played well that first year. I mean, Fields probably had the higher ceiling, but he was going to go with what's working. I mean, he's a football coach. His job is to win games. I, I got that decision, even if it ended up being stupid, but this is just like beyond stupid. So yes, I do really worry about Vandegrift going there next year, just because <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do with him. I think he's probably going to redshirt and you know be behind. So I mean, it, 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 we just don't know. Brock Vandegrift is my top-rated quarterback in the next class, over Caleb Williams, uh, over JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy's my actually my second-rated quarterback. Um, but just imagine if he would have done the same thing that Tony Grimes at North Carolina did. Now, at the time, that quarterback picture was very hazy with uh, uh, Jamie Newman and uh, and 
uh, JT Daniels coming in there. But had Brock Vandergriff redeclared and decided he was going to enroll at Georgia this year, he would have been the starting quarterback for that team. And Brock Vandergriff is a very good quarterback. We have to remember that he was Lincoln Riley's first choice, and he decided to to uh, he wanted to stay closer to home, and so he he wanted to go to Georgia. First of all, Brock Vandergriff, go grow up. All right, let's let's worry about getting the bag. You should have gone to Oklahoma. Yes, he is going to a quarterback wasteland, but that's why it's going to be good for him. He should be able to, to compete for the starting position next year with JT Daniels. If Daniels is still going to be there, I mean, I don't really know what to make of uh, him not him not playing. But I, man, I love me some Brock Vandegrift, and you know that Georgia can recruit the skill positions. George Pickens and, and Kiaris Jackson are still going to be there. They all, they're always loaded at running back. So, yes, he's going to a quarterback wasteland, but that's what happens at times for these players who get um, uh, playing time immediately. So I still like the fit at Georgia. I would have preferred that he follow Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, but – if you can't uh, be coached by Lincoln Riley, then let's get playing time immediately, and he can do that at Georgia. All right, gentlemen. Well, actually, Bruni, I'm going to uh, throw it to you. Do you have a trivia question for us tonight? I do. I was not ready. I thought we were still talking about Brock Vandergrift, so I got to find oh, it really quick. But no, no, you're good. I should be more on top of it. All right, so here we go. Wide receiver this time. We've talked about running backs the past two weeks, uh, so I'm going to go with a wide receiver here. I feel like one of you is definitely going to get this one, so I'm going to fall to one and two this week, I think. So right now, this wide receiver has played 85.4% of their snaps from the slot position. They have run 2.8 yards per route, which is the third lowest in the top 10 position, which he is rated right now in the top 10 at the wide receiver position in college. 480 yards receiving, which is 14th in NCAA. 243 yards after the catch, though, which is 11th right now. He has seven avoided tackles, which is 14th as well. So what I'm saying is this guy is catching the ball very close to the line of scrimmage and doing all of his work after that. I will give you guys one hint if you'd like, because wide receiver is obviously a very deep position. I don't have anything off the top of my head. Austin, you got anything? Yeah, I'll take the hint because I'm I'm trying to think. And I okay, what's a, what's a, what's a good hint that will help you guys? He's in the ACC. He's a freshman. I'll say that as well. Which that, that may have just given it away. My, I'm so brain dead. I'm so brain dead. I can't I can't think. I'm like I'm, I feel terrible because I can't think of anything. <laughs> He's a guy nobody was talking to at the beginning, of, talking about at the beginning of the year, and has exploded onto the scene. In the ACC, someone who's exploded onto I'm the scene. I'm pretty sure he's in the ACC. Now you got me questioning myself. Who is this that they played right here? Miami. He played. They played Miami. Pretty sure they're in the ACC. Maybe they're not, and they just played Miami. Let's know. play a game called Looking Up ACC Team. So Georgia Tech, Duke, Florida, Clemson. Tech. He's a I'm freshman, you said? Yeah, I'm going to feel so bad. He's not. They're not going to be in the ACC now that I say oh, that. I'm going to okay. look now. Uh, they played Miami. I don't know. I really thought that they were Give in the ACC. Give it to us. Give it to us. It's Jordan Addison out of Pitt. Oh, okay. Oh, he is ACC. Wait, he's okay. doing all of his yep. – he's caught at least two deep touchdowns this year. That's yeah, really interesting also, to me that his, yeah. that his yardage is that skewed. Yep, it's it's almost all coming out. He's running almost almost exclusively out of the slot, and most of his work is coming after the catch. Interesting. 
I thought, honestly that. thought you would get it there, Austin. Yeah, it's pretty you know, shameful being, as a pit fan. Being the big I, didn't, pit I fan. didn't realize he was working that close to the line. Interesting. Yeah. Only 2.8 yards of route run. You're breaking up really bad there, Felix. Am I? Can you hear me? There you go. Yeah, yeah, you're good now. All right, let's close the show with bold predictions. Uh, Bruning, let's go back to you. What's your bold prediction for this week? Uh, so I had talked about last week wanting to watch that Arizona State-USC game, which ended up being a really good game. I was hoping to see Jaden Daniels in that offense play. Uh, and and Austin had brought up an all, and also the Arizona Wildcats last week, which their game got canceled after we did the podcast. Uh, I am a big fan of Grant Gannell, and I think him and that offense are going to go in and beat the USC Trojans this week. So that is my bold prediction. Austin, what do you got for me? Yeah, so I've been the champion of the downtrodden here during this segment for most of the year. I picked, um, I've picked Rutgers so far. I've picked Florida State so far. Um, really haven't been too lucky, but I, so I'm going back to that well again this week, and I'm going to choose little old Owen three Penn State. Going to finally get their first win. Good for them. Good for those guys. Well, we're all picking games, so I'm going to pick the Notre Dame Boston College game, and I've got Boston College. Beating Notre Dame. That that wow. game is at uh, Boston College, I believe. Notre Dame is making that trip after coming off the high of winning. Um, and so they're in for a letdown. Bill Jerkovic, uh, Zay Flowers is having a breakout season. And so I think that we see the upset in Boston College. I think I'm going to keep picking against Notre Dame until they, <laughs> until they lose. And I've got Boston College with the upset over Notre Dame. Anything else before we let everybody go, gentlemen? That's it. All right. You can find our written content at Dynasty Nerds. You can email the show at Debbie Debate. Tweet and follow the show at Debbie Debate. Our, our, our sincerest apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We intended to get him in. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn.